You're listening to Venture Vignettes, a podcast that features trailblazers in entrepreneurship, investment, and innovation. I'm your host, Rihanna Shah, recording from Stanford, California. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Today, we're chatting with Russell Rogers, the head of Dow DuPont's Silicon Valley Innovation Center. In this episode, he discusses the current state of corporate innovation and highlights particular strategies that organizations can use to maintain a culture of innovation. In his role, Russell partners with individuals and organizations to bring technology and fresh thinking to solve problems and create new opportunities for Fortune 500 companies using his startup experience. Thanks for being on the show today, Russell. Let's jump right in. You've been in innovation for over 10 years at this point. You've worked at several different companies. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you've seen your role and the role of innovation change over the past 10 years? I'd be happy to. I'd like to say that I had it all planned out in advance, but um, (laughs) I think what really happened is I fumbled along and was busy exploring different areas, different industries, and that's probably helped set me up as an asset to an organization that's trying to figure out innovation. I graduated many years ago in finance and economics and biology and started working in corporate sales with a a large organization focused on cellular telephony. I then went and started working for a large consulting firm, did that for about six or seven years, focused on healthcare and technology strategy. Went to several graduate schools along the way, as I said. trying to find that passion, yeah. right? And I finally ended up graduating from Harvard University School of Public Health with a degree in health policy and management. And I felt a real, I don't know, the beginning of a purpose, if you will. Um, I was recruited to Humana, which is a large insurer. This is back in 2007. I was recruited into their innovation center to help them partner with universities to discover what are the types of research that universities are doing that could end up bearing fruit, evolve into those dreams of research evolving into research development projects, market-facing offerings that could help improve operations at the organization or improve the the customer experience, if you will. Spent about uh, three and a half years there. Then I spent time at Samsung, working with Samsung Austin Semiconductor, focused more on operations. How do you use innovative approaches to improve operations as well as leadership development. After that, I was recruited to MIT's Media Lab, where I had a previous relationship due to my time at Humana. MIT Media Lab was one of the entities that we had partnered with while I was at Humana and did some joint research with. And so some graduate students and professors at MIT reached out to me and asked me to join them and spin a company out of the Media Lab, which would become Data Matters and another company called Butterfly. And it was based on a, a software framework or philosophy, really, about how to treat personal data. And I Super spent, interesting. Oh, it's, it, was, it was amazing. I'd, I'd like to claim credit uh, for all <laughs> of the actual hacking, coding, the important technology development. But I was brought in probably more for my leadership abilities and understanding of, of a strategy and ways of getting things to market. So after that time, I was then recruited to Lennar, which is the largest home builder in the United States. And I was brought there to start to develop an innovation team and develop that from a group of one to about a dozen. And I left there about five months ago to join DuPont, which is now Dow DuPont. And they're focused with how to move from old line manufacturing to technology, customer first, market first solutions development, instead of scientists in a lab trying to invent the next great idea behind closed doors. 
Yeah, that's very interesting. I think one of the things that we've heard in development and in corporate innovation has been sort of a change from a very waterfall-based approach where you figure out a product and then you go find your customer to a much more customer-centric approach that's much more agile where you're working on something and you're getting feedback immediately instead of going back and figuring out how to fit something you've been working on for 10 years to adapt it to market. So that's super interesting to hear you say that. How would you say corporate innovation has changed in these 10 years? And have you sort of seen a change in the way that innovation is happening specifically based on approach? Well, that's a that's a great question. I don't know if any one person has a broad enough view to exactly know that transformation has been. I could certainly speak to, to my experience and say what I do notice is that everybody has a approached more of a a lean philosophy in that we need to get more effective and faster is is part of that at learning, right? So you've heard the term fail fast. I think everybody has embraced that idea. I tend to state it more as learn fast. Mm -hmm. So you want to be able to effectively create experiments that can provide you with data quickly and cheaply to help you determine are you headed in the right direction. Yeah. So I think that's been a big change is that 10 years ago, there was a little bit in the organizations that I'd worked with and, and read about and partnered with, there was still a feeling of, well, if I get a bunch of experts in a different bunch of different areas and I have a large innovation budget, we're going to uncover the, the gems, the real opportunities. And I think that has moved more to a leaner model of yeah. a smaller group of people mm-hmm. that are better connected to the external marketplace as well as to different people inside the organization mm-hmm. and just picking up those sometimes faint signals yeah. of hey, is there interest here? Is there an opportunity here? Yeah. And so it looks like it's been getting leaner and leaner, more mm-hmm. people able to focus in that way. And, you know, time will tell whether whether that's the right way or not. Yeah, um, definitely. A, a lot of people model after, say, a, a Google, but most organizations don't have the level of cash to make those big, bold bets and hire the absolute brightest people in yeah. the world to help them in that journey. That's very interesting. Why would you say this change has happened towards a more external-facing view? Do you think it's the Googles and the Amazons of the world that are pushing other companies forward in this direction? Or do you think there's something else that's going on here in terms of technology and in terms of how much easier it is to get to customers today than it used to be? I think there are a couple of reasons in in my mind why that would be the case. One is we all have better connectivity. Mm -hmm. Um, It's easier to find people in a particular domain and a certain industry with a certain skill set. There's better knowledge about what's happening in the marketplace. And it's almost almost a push from the market to you saying this information's out there already. There are people who are working in this space and all you have to do is listen, right? And, and pay attention. I think 10 years ago, there wasn't that level of connectivity. So it's obvious that part of your job of doing research and development mm-hmm. is looking externally, right? Definitely. You certainly can't develop those capabilities internally as well as everybody in the marketplace can. So it is the connectivity. I also think that there's a lot of organizations such as ours that have placed really big bets in certain domains. Mm -hmm. And we feel that if we had been looking at what was happening in the marketplace, sort of a market first approach, Mm -hmm. it might have saved us from some of those long term investments. And we could have either decided to pivot or stop those investments earlier. So I, I think those are a couple of main reasons. That's really interesting. And what would you say are the things that Dow DuPont is doing in response to these market trends and what are some of the things that you're working on? Dow and DuPont are under the same corporate umbrella, but they are in fact different entities. Dow and DuPont has 
made it publicly known that over the next 14 to 16 months, they're going to split up into three unique entities. One is a specialty products company, another one is a materials company, and a third one is focused on agriculture. And so in 14 to 16, 18 months, specialty company, specialty products company will probably be called DuPont. I don't know for certain. That's sort of I think a, a hope among some people. Yeah, such work a, in progress. It's such a it's such a wonderful, powerful brand, you know, and yeah. you, you hate for that to, to not still be around. And the materials company would be come down and the agricultural company, I don't I don't know what the name of that would be. But I think some of the things that are happening right now is we're working really hard to develop I'd say innovation infrastructure, different ways of doing things. We even refer to it as our as our Lego blocks, if you will. So if somebody has a need to do something, if there's an entrepreneur in the organization, they have an idea, they might say, well, how do I expand upon this idea? How do I make this into a compelling presentation? Mm-hmm. Who should I present it to? If they give me feedback, how do I find people in the organization to help me build it into a more compelling presentation? Yeah. How do I build that dream team, right? With yeah, If I don't have authority and specific budget. And so we're working hard on, on across the entire organization to build up this hyper-connectivity and a set of tools so somebody can almost say, I have an idea and just go to a menu and select what their need is and the tools and the answers are provided to them. So I think that's one of the more interesting things we're doing. We're also doing a, a good job of, of outreach outside of the organization and identifying not only venture capitalists and partners outside of the VC world, so large technology companies who may have applications that are interesting for our areas of research and being very proactive and partnering with them. So instead of saying, I have a product, I want to sell more of it, and then going out and looking and saying, hey, who wants to buy some of this product? We're actually going out and seeking out partners and saying, hey, we're, we're smart at these different domains. How might that be interesting to you? Maybe we can develop something, some capability or some product or service together. And so I think those are a couple of really interesting ways that we're building the capabilities out now for this period where we're going to be separate entities. That's fascinating. It sounds like the two main things that I think you're, you guys are trying to do is one, build strategic partnerships, which has very much been a trend in the industry, as well as trying to develop those entrepreneurs or those folks with entrepreneurial hunger within the organization who you're providing resources to and who have all of the benefits and security of a large company, but have sort of the drive of an entrepreneur or of a startup. So that's really cool. How would you say Dow DuPont is at an advantage relative to a startup that might just be starting out in the space? And do you feel like there may be things that a startup can do better than Dow DuPont can? Or do you feel like you can replicate some of those capabilities and some of that agility of a startup? This is a question that's probably applicable to many companies in the industry. So not only digital first companies, so, you know, digital natives, but classic manufacturing organizations, oil and gas. It's the question of scale. Certain things scale well in a large organization and then certain things don't. So maybe another way of phrasing it is like, how do you scale innovation and entrepreneurship, right? So when organizations start to get large, you protect the certain things that you do well, and then you focus on becoming more efficient with those. And there's a lot of processes in place to protect those things that you do well. And that sometimes pushes you away from taking risks, taking chances, focusing on something new. So I think a couple of famous people in the innovation space have have said a, a startup is an organization that's looking for a business model, right? And, and so an established organization 
has a business model, right? And it's executing on it. And I do think that Dow DuPont has some significant advantages in that they have world-class experts in many technical domains Mm -hmm. that can answer a question fairly definitively, fairly quickly on, is something technically, practically possible, right? So I think that's pretty compelling. We have global reach. So if you want to know if there's an opportunity in a marketplace in China that's slightly different than the opportunity in South Korea, Mm -hmm. we have people on the ground who can answer those types of things. Whether you can get someone in a large organization like ours to work 90 hours a week and feel that fire yeah. in your belly that, that entrepreneurs do, I don't have the answer for that. I think we're trying to put incentives in place mm-hmm. and create a culture where people have the opportunity to make certain initiatives feel like it's their initiative, yeah. it's their company to grow. And hopefully that will lead to the powerful end results that we're looking for. That's very interesting. It sounds like ownership might be the key here, trying to figure out how you can align personal aspirations with those resources to actually help them feel like they can create something that can actually become a real thing. So one of the things I also want to ask about is let's talk about business models for a second. What would you say are some of the next steps? So you're currently training these entrepreneurs, getting them up and ready. They do a pilot, they do an MVP, they come up with something that may or may not be a good idea. How do you think about next steps with them? Would you plug them into products that already exist? Or what are some of the ways in which you'd be able to distinguish whether or not something might be a cool project, but sort of dies on the line or whether or not it actually turns into something that ends up seeing the light of day with some of the Dow DuPont customers? Well, I hate to give a plug for idea management platform like Bright Idea, but I think one of the ways we're starting to address that is we're exposing great ideas to a broader audience. So that would be difficult for me to do if somebody mm-hmm. came to me because often what happens since I'm in global innovation is people knock on my door and say, hey, Russell, I have this idea. I've tried to move it up through my organization. However, it doesn't neatly fit into my business. I still think that there's value here. And so what we can do is we can provide these people with a, a platform where they can post ideas and they can post these ideas to certain segments of the organization, right? Like I have an idea to drive digital transformation that solves this problem and they can get a broad audience hmm. and there's actually analytics behind that and we can say what's effective about the idea, you know, yeah. what's resonating with people, what's not. I think that's one of the ways we're doing it. Another way that we're doing it is we sponsor a couple of funds that are for ideas, as I said before, don't neatly fit within a business, Yeah. but we think, hey, this idea might have cross-business implications. Interesting. So it doesn't fit into our industrial biosciences perfectly. It doesn't fit into nutrition and health. Mm-hmm. It's interdisciplinary, if you will, or mm-hmm. interbusiness. And I think those are the spaces where a fund that, that we manage, that person can come to us. We can identify that, yes, it doesn't really solve a particular opportunity within IB or address that. Mm-hmm nor NNH, but we do think at the corporate level there's value. And so what we do is we provide funding and guidance and connectivity within the organization to make sure that those ideas see the light of day. So those are two mechanisms that we're beginning to use and and hopefully to good effect. Yeah, that's very interesting. We're starting to come up on time, so I'd like to ask you one or two last questions. One of the things I'm wondering is how can other companies emulate some of the work that you're doing? Because one of the things that you guys seem to be doing really well is you're a massive company. You have over 100,000 employees. But at the same time, you're trying to be very lean and you're trying to find those innovators within the organization. So how can you say other companies might be able to replicate some of the incredible work that you guys are doing out here at Dow DuPont? 
Well, I hope they don't. <laughs> no, but, but, but in all seriousness, I think what, and, and this is a, a credit to, to the group that I'm a part of, which is Emerging Innovation, is instead of going piecemeal and identifying through internal networks who are the interesting innovators or would-be innovators in the organization that haven't really been able to have the impact that they would like because we're a large organization. How do mm-hmm. we simplify that for them? We've said, what are best practices in the industry? And so we've read every book that you can imagine on <laughs> innovation and building powerful networks and running lean. And there's a group of a dozen of us that focus on this and we test things internally on our own group. We say, okay, how effective is this tool or this technique in helping mm-hmm. each of us in our organization and our piece of the organization to have an impact on the broader Dow DuPont and so we're, we're eating our own dog food and yeah. so when we test these tools and we say hey we think we're getting better effectiveness or impact from using these techniques then we start to test those on parts of the organization and I think that's something that I would suggest other organizations do is test it on yourself test it on a small piece of your organization and now you've got an advocate right so you've advocated for the tool the process the technique you built an advocate within the organization and then it really comes across the organization quite quickly and you're building a competency yeah right definitely. that's what you're doing you're building a competency yeah so you're de-risking as well as building a competency so instead of trying to disrupt an entire organization that's very large or sort of testing it out and figuring it out in a very protected environment. It's, you know, it's not that different than kicking off a, a, a new venture doing a startup. It's, you have to have your beachhead. You have to have a, yeah. a place that you can pinpoint your activities and have a great success in a short period of time. And then mm-hmm. from that, you can look to roll that across the organization. Yeah, definitely. That's really incredible. And my last question to you is, How can innovators or folks who are entrepreneurs at organizations, how can they be effective in bringing new ideas to management to actually help them turn into a reality? Again, I think this is similar to being an entrepreneur. Don't be afraid to be different, right? So when you pick out an organization that you want to be a part of, particularly when it's a really large organization with a strong culture, and I I don't mean strong culture in a negative sense, but I just mean it's well-defined there are ways of doing things that are ingrained. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Dow DuPont certainly one of those places. It's only that, been around for 200 years. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> no pressure. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, people want change in an organization like that, but they're also comfortable in the way things have been, too. They understand, mm-hmm. they get it. So I think you have to be very comfortable being the provocateur, right? Constantly pushing back, trying to drive your agenda, your initiatives ruthlessly, but with the understanding that you have to continue to work with these people, right? So you don't want to do it to the point where you're harming relationships. You have to help people understand that you have the best interests of the organization in mind, but you feel pretty strongly about a best path forward. And so I say you need to be consistent, persistent, and relentless, but always carrying the the mantle of this, I really do believe in this initiative for the organization. And if you do that with a lean mindset, you can do this quickly and cheaply and then learn and bring those results back to the organization, then I think you're going to get a lot of runway to do great things. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This was a really excellent conversation and thanks for all the advice. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show, Russ. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. To all of our listeners, thanks again for listening to Venture Vignettes, a podcast dedicated to interviews with tech leaders at the forefront of innovation. For questions, comments, or requests, you can always reach me at rihanna at kzsu.stanford.edu. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and definitely leave us a review on iTunes. I'm Rihanna Shah, signing off until next time.